Okay, we're uh, looking this Advent at four different uh, portraits, four different pictures, the way of uh, the way the Bible presents to us uh, who Jesus is. And today we're going to look at uh, the portrait of Jesus as judge, and uh, which I'm sure if I were to do a poll, that would be the least popular uh, of the of the pictures, right? Because there are many things that you can do in our culture today, but one thing that you must never do as judge. And the funny thing about Jesus is Jesus is walking around judging people all the time. All the time. We don't think of it that way, but he's doing it, right? I mean, it is, it's, it's a remarkable thing. Uh, one of my favorites is when he sits at the temple and looks in the offering plate and reaches in there and pulls your check out and he opens it up and he looks at it. And he puts it back in, and he does that for everybody. And then he says, that widow who gave half a mite gave more than all of y'all. That's a judge. (laughs) He's judging your offering, right? Isn't that awesome? I think that's really great. It's amazing to me that it took him three years to kill him uh, because uh, he's doing stuff like this all the time. Now, the 2017 Jesus that we like is soft and mild and um, never says or does anything harsh. Our reading today comes from Luke chapter 21, verses 25 uh, through 35. The text is in the bulletin and also up on uh, the screens uh, behind me. Luke chapter 21, verses 25 through 35. This is the word of God. We should hear it and respond to it as such. In fact, uh, as we begin reading this morning, these are uh, words that Jesus himself spoke. And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars, and on the earth the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. So, What is the point of Advent? Right? What's the point? One of the things that I think is important for us to do is to to ask that question. Now, historically, and particularly for us as a church, we've always approached Advent uh, predominantly from the standpoint of uh, that we cry out to Jesus, as we already have today, for him to come. And, And we particularly want him to come for uh, people who are living with and struggling with unfulfilled desires. And so this time of year is particularly poignant for the grieving, for the lonely, for the infertile, 
uh, for those kinds of people because we we believe and we know that this world is not right and we we understand that it's not right the most when when we experience these unfulfilled desires and we believe and rightly so that when Jesus comes those desires will be fulfilled but one of the things that you have to see about advent as well is that it is a time of preparation for the lord to come and what what is it that he wants us to do to prepare? Um, we have spent at our house the last couple of weeks um, slowly but surely decorating. Uh, we have 11 bins. 11 with the Dread Sea written on the top of each lid. 11 of them. And so I have to go up to the attic and get all 11 of those bins with the C on them and bring them down. I bring them down and we go through them. And we take stuff out of about three of them. (laughs) And we decorate with that. And then I put them back. And then after I put them back, we are reminded, hey, remember that thing? It's in that bin up in the attic. Could you go get it? So which bin in the attic? Well, one of the 11. Got to bring them down again. And then take them back. And bring them down and take them back. I'd be happy just to leave them down. And, you know, we could get some red cloth and some green cloth and just throw it over them. And say, it's a Christmas decoration. That would, that would suit me just fine. Um, so we do all this. Yesterday we, we did our wreath, and, and Marty always takes great care in doing our wreath because we live in a neighborhood that majors on humility. That's why we all shine spotlights on our houses. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? We're very humble in our neighborhood, and so to demonstrate that, we... I'll go get lights and we stick them out in the yard so they can shine right on the front of our house. Well, this year our wreath has some bird feathers from some birds we, uh, we well, I got to know really well a few years ago. And uh, uh, we have some, uh, uh, because we've eaten a lot of oysters this year, we, we put oyster shells on it, and some red berries and some other stuff. And so we, we did all this and I took pictures of it and, emailed her the pictures, and then she sent the pictures to the, our kids. One child lives in Maryland. One child is in college in Lynchburg, and the other one uh, is in, uh, lives in Roanoke, and he's about to, to go, uh, uh, well, he's about to become a full-fledged army man, so he's not going to be here for much longer. So she takes these pictures and sends them to the kids because she believes that doing this is going to create for them the anticipation of coming home. That they will see that we are decorating and preparing the house for them to come and that they'll get excited and come. Now, what they think it's for is to look at the pictures and say, hey, you need to do this. Hey, let me, let me correct this. What, what's that on the wreath, Mom? You need, to, you need to change that. So they view it as an opportunity to criticize and help us, you know, do better with, uh, with, with our decorations. And so we, we had that wonder yesterday as we 
as we did that. What is that on there, Mom? So um, it's great. We love it. But the fact is, we do this, we prepare our house for their coming. So in the spirit of cheesy Christmas sentences, let me ask you this morning, have you decked your halls and not your hearts? You see, because one of the things that we have to see about Advent is, is that Advent is supposed to prepare us for the coming of Jesus. And one of the ways that we prepare ourselves for his coming is by taking a personal inventory. Fleming Rutledge says this, there are theological reasons for observing a serious Advent without being swallowed up prematurely by the Christmas rush. I may be too late. I don't know. Advent offers an unparalleled opportunity to take a fearless inventory of the darkness in our world and in our hearts into which the true light will come. So what Advent supplies us with an opportunity to do is to look at ourselves, to take an inventory, to take an accounting, literally, of our hearts and our lives, our deeds, the things we haven't done, all of those things, to sit for a few moments in quietness and anticipation and look at that. Now, now the, the, the problem with this is, is that we uh, conspire in our culture, uh, we conspire in the church to keep that from happening by making ourselves distracted and busy. And, and, and you know that's true because if one of the things that we say all the time and that our children say all the time is, I'm bored. Well, let me, I'm here to tell you, boredom is a good thing because boredom provides you the opportunity to look at your heart. Now, now I'd rather be bored and say I'm disinterested than actually look at my heart because it makes me uncomfortable, Right? I don't want to have to deal with or uh, inspect the things that are in there. I, uh, uh, this, this time of year is a, is a great time of year for, for an inventory. I, I meet on Friday mornings with a group of young men, and a bunch of them are CPAs. Well, you know what CPAs do in December? They go out to the companies that they represent, and they count their stuff. Like one of the guys is going to go count wood. Wood. Just go count wood. Like what kind of wood? Well, whatever wood they have, I'm going to count it. Uh, one, of, one of the guys is going to go count cigars. He's going to smell great when he gets home, right? Uh, a couple of years ago, one of them went and counted salamis and sausages at a place, right? Which I'm like, that sounds awesome. And uh, another one is going to go count face creams and those sorts of things, right? So so that's what they do this time of year is they go to these companies and they go in there and they count the stuff that they have so that they can have an accounting of what they have. Well, one of the things that you have to see about Advent and what I'm going to urge on you today is we need the margin and the space in our lives for just a little bit, just a tiny bit. That's all I'm asking this morning is, can you just take a moment or two sometime between now and Christmas and go before God and say, Lord, how am I doing? Is there anything in my heart and my life that you would like to put your finger on that you would challenge me about? 
Now, for many of us, we hear this and we think, wait a minute, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus is about grace. Jesus is about mercy, particularly to me. I am a believer. I am a longtime Christian. And so these words, these things about uh, uh, taking a personal inventory, those are for those people out there. In fact, when I read the Gospels and I hear Jesus talking very directly to people, it's always to those people out there, not to the people that really love him, right? But you see, one of the things that you have to see, our text today, the very words of Jesus tell us to watch ourselves. Watch yourselves. That, that there's something, that, that there's an activity that the Lord wants us to be involved in and engaged in. And this time of year provides us with that opportunity to take a moment to watch ourselves. Now, when, when my mom used to say to me, watch yourself, right? Uh, there, there was some oomph behind that. That meant, you know, you're about to do something you shouldn't be doing. You're about to get in trouble. You know, pay attention. Look at what's happening here. Get, get, get yourself under control. Watch yourself. Most often is when I was running my mouth, right? Something I, I'm, Repent of regularly. I make one uh, New Year's resolution every year, and I blow it every year, and that is talk less, Steve. Talk less. But the Lord says to us today to watch ourselves. Now, why would he do that? Next slide. So, so... You have to see that after after he says this, and I left this text out of the bulletin on purpose so I could highlight it for you here. He says, after this challenge, Jesus says this to us, stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, the King James translates this verse this way. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy, worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And so when we read this and we hear this, we think, wait a minute, who is it that he's talking to? You know, we are, we are so terrified uh, often that we uh, cannot handle the fact that someone might come to us and say, you know what, you need to change. That we would... we we. we or you need to repent, that we would never, ever countenance a Jesus who would say to us, listen, you need to watch yourself. And not only do you need to watch yourself, but you need to pray that you'll be counted worthy to escape all these things and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, isn't it interesting? I mean, this is a, this is a thing that, that, that we should sense and feel some sort of tension today because we've already used the Belgic Confession where we talk about looking forward to the coming of Jesus as, as a time for us to be delivered. But the pathway to that deliverance and the pathway of making things right in our world involves every one of us, the living and the dead, to... Stand before Jesus. We say when we say the Apostles' Creed that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And so when we hear this, we think, you know, we immediately begin to think of all the caveats that we can put around so that that judgment or the harsh words that he says about that are for those other people, but they're not for people like me, right? 
We think that they're for someone else. And so because we think they're for someone else, and we, we begin to take the grace of God, the mercy of God, the kindness of our God, for granted, what happens to us is the, the, the gift of repentance and the gift of receiving the rebuke of a friend is something that is far from us. I used to, when I did premarital counseling with couples, I used to tell them that a very useful exercise for them to do would be once a month to say to one another, if there was one thing about me you could change, what would it be? I did that in my own marriage. And uh, you want me to tell you what it is? It's the same thing every month. (laughs) So obviously it's not having its effect on changing me, right? So... But it's good to be reminded of, you know, what needs to be repaired. And she will say to me, I just wish you were more helpful. So for the first 15 years I heard that, I would say like, well, wait a minute. I am helpful. I'm sitting here listening to you. Isn't this helping you? Right? I am helpful. I just brought down the 11 bins for the 41st time. Right? And then I realized, you know, if she, she's not just telling me to be more helpful, to hear herself tell me that she needs me to be more helpful, I think I probably should listen and think, you know, maybe I need to be more helpful. Right? So when we read these words, what we tend to think about it is, is that Jesus is speaking to people who don't like him, or he's speaking to those Pharisees, or he's speaking to those scribes. But in the text that we've read today, he's speaking to his, his nearest and dearest followers. And he says to us, watch yourselves, watch yourselves. Not the least of which is the fact that for many of us, we grow cold and cynical and, and we allow ourselves to think, you know what, this this area of my life or this sin that's in my life, you know what? It is a recurring event for me and I'm just giving up on it because God's giving up on it. And yet what the Lord comes to us and says to us is, watch yourself. Be careful that you don't find yourself wandering, wandering, wandering. And so as we as we kind of unpack this and think about this t- today, we have to say, well, who is it then that he's, that he's talking about. Next slide. So we have the opportunity uh, uh, every time that we take the Lord's Supper, when we hear these words read to us, to yet again take a personal inventory. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And we just discount this, don't we? That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. So so there's a sense in which that we have this opportunity for ourselves to, to look at ourselves and to lay our hearts and our lives before the Lord and say, Lord, is there something about me? Is there something that I haven't done or something that I'm doing or, or my tendency to be a liar or my tendency to, to be a boaster? Is there, is there something about that, that you 
want me to hear a warning and to repent of and to turn away from, right? So Jesus goes on to say in in John chapter 8, one of the weirdest passages, I think, in the whole Bible, uh, because it begins this way. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, to the Jews who had believed him, not the Pharisees, not the scribes, not the bad people, but the ones who believed him. And what does he say? If you abide in my word and you're truly my disciples and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. So they answered him because they don't want to be challenged this way. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus goes on to say, I truly, truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains there forever. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. So he goes on, and he's just challenging them and challenging them and challenging them. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and next slide, AJ. Uh, does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own uh, character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So he goes on and on and on. And he ends this by saying, well, you know, you because you reject these things that I'm saying to you, what did it mean that they believed him? You see, one of the ways you can come to grips with what is the nature of your belief and your trust in this one that we have come here today to worship is to check our hearts, to watch ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. Every single one of us, the most mature, most uh, steadfast follower of Christ, and those of us who are barely hanging on to him uh, by our fingernails, have this opportunity to lay before him our hearts and say, Lord, look at me. I'm watch. Help me to watch myself and to check what's going on. And so, so as we look at this and as we think about this, it would do us no good to see that the Lord is our judge and for somehow or other for us to just ignore that. But by the same token, what it does for us is, is that we have this opportunity to ask ourselves the question that Jesus addressed in this text, and that is this. You know, am I worthy to stand before uh, uh, my judge? Well, here's the thing. You know, the, and, and if, I, if I'm not worthy, how do I get worthy? Now, let me just say something really quickly about that. Notice I didn't say worthless, right? That somehow or other... I need to create my own worth. You, there, no human being is worthless. All human beings are created in the image of God and therefore are priceless. And the way that we know that they're priceless is, is that Jesus shed his own blood to redeem us. So, so we are of, un, it's impossible to calculate the worth of a human being. But at the same time, that human being to create within himself standing before God, to be able to stand before the judgment and say, you know what, I'm good uh, because of the things that I've done. How does that happen? How does that happen? 
Well, the fact of the matter is, we get worthy by confessing that we're not worthy. We get worthy by acknowledging the fact uh, that we must hide ourselves uh, in the work of someone else, right? And, and one of the things that you have to see about this is, is that the basis of all judgment, at least in the Bible, is, is the, the basis is works. It is. The basis of all judgment is, is on works. The question is, are you going to be judged on your works or lack of works, or are you going to be judged on the basis of someone else's? And so what we can say, like these uh, people that, that Jesus speaks to is, raise your head up and look and be ready to stand before him, because when we stand before him, we will declare to him the work that he has done. We will declare before him the fact that this Jesus lived a life we could never live, died the death that we deserved, rose again for us, and that our hope and our standing and that our worthiness uh, is secured by him. But I would submit to you today that for many of you, uh, you are unmoved. You're unmoved. And you're unmoved uh, because you haven't examined yourself. Because if you examined yourself, honestly, what would you see? What would you hear? What would be there that would, that would challenge you? Well, you see, that is the, exactly the opportunity that we have as we come to the table today is to examine ourselves. Because when we examine ourselves and we take an honest inventory, the worth and the value that Jesus Christ offers to us expands. And it warms our hearts. It makes us less cynical and less hardened. Hear these words of institution from the Lord uh, as of, uh, of the Lord's Supper as they come to us from Matthew uh, chapter 26. 